Our lesson tonight is from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we continue our summer series tonight, we're picking up with this chapter. You may remember, uh, to still one of Paul's phrases, if you go back in your mind, if you remember our lesson on the church at Thessalonica, you remember how that when, they, when Paul first went to them, that they received the word through a lot of persecution, and in spite of a lot of persecution. And that's what uh, we're going to find here, uh, mentioned also in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, that there was uh, a lot of persecution was still taking place, and Paul, as we're going to see here, was encouraging them. And we find really throughout chapter 2 how Paul is thankful for them and uh, for their faithfulness and for their desire to follow the Word and follow God, even in the face of heavy persecution. You think about some qualities found in people today around the world and in our communities. If certain qualities stood out in your mind, what would they be? You think about how people talk to one another and how people interact with one another. What are some qualities that come out in your mind that you see that are commonplace today? And then ask yourself, are those qualities worthy to be followed? Paul will show us in chapter 2 some traits that Christians should possess, and he does so by his own actions. And we begin in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 and following, we look at uh, here Paul's message and also his behavior, as he's going to discuss it here among them, here in chapter 2. We begin in verses 1 through 5 looking at how Paul brought the truth to them. Because it's important to notice, he didn't just bring the truth, but also the manner in which he brought it to them. You look at verses 1 through 3 here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. And we can look at this. We notice several things as you look at these first three verses. He says, first of all, that he's speaking to brethren. He says he's coming to them, that their coming to them was not in vain, which means it wasn't useless. Paul's coming to them was going to serve a purpose just as it had in the past. He says also in verse 2, he says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. If you go back and look at some of the instances in which Paul suffered, one being there in Acts chapter 14, again in Acts chapter 16, and he he makes mention of several times that he endured hardships and sufferings, we know that was a direct cause, or one of the direct causes of that was because of his preaching and teaching the gospel. In fact, if you were to look at Acts chapter 14 and verse 5, the Bible says, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, that's a reference to Paul and those who were there with him in Iconia. You find that the Bible says in verse 6, I became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe and cities of Iconia. And what we find there is that is just one example of many where he suffered conflict and suffered hardship. And he says there in verse 2, he says, and were, speeded, and were spitefully treated at Philippi. He says, now notice, as you know, which means they were aware 
of the hardships that he had been suffering. This wasn't just him saying, oh, you know, we're doing, we're, you know, we're enduring a lot of hardships. And it wasn't like they just were taking his word for it. They knew of it. They knew of the things that he was enduring because of the gospel. He goes on to say here in verse 2, he says, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. That being a reference to they were bold enough to preach the gospel in the midst of heavy persecution. Think about that for a moment. We weren't persecuted in the sense we were told not to preach or teach the gospel. We know in the last year and a half, a lot of people took the opportunity to not do those things. But that is not what we are called to do. We are called to preach and teach the gospel and be the church every day and to be the church every Lord's day. And we find here in verse 2, he says, They were bold in our God, he says, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Now when Paul says much conflict, you can guarantee you that it was not something that was just people who were just talking behind his back and muttering. As we saw in Acts chapter 14, remember you go back there in Acts 14 and verse 5, the Bible says they were wanting to stone him. He mentioned several times how he was stoned and how he was whipped as well. And they knew of his, his treatment that he has received. And we see in verse 3, it says, For our exhortation or our encouragement, he says, Do not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Which means they were not encouraged by what? By doing evil. They were not encouraged by doing evil, from doing evil, or, and they were not encouraged to do evil either. He says their, their exhortation did not come from error. It means they weren't encouraged because they were preaching and teaching something that was in contradiction to the Word of God. They weren't preaching and teaching something that was unclean or something that was full of deceit. They were, as we find in verse 2, they were bold in their God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict there in verse 2. So despite the hardships they had faced, they still spoke the Word of God with boldness. Looking at verses 4 and 5, as we continue to look at how the truth was brought to them, Paul says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness." When we think about, for a second, just verse 4 alone, he says, as we have been approved by God. Now we know that Paul was an inspired man of God, but also today when someone, we could say someone is approved of by God as a preacher in the sense that they preach the truth of God's Word and they refuse to depart from it, we can say without going against the Scripture, that person will be approved of by God because they're preaching God's Word. But here, we're talking about inspired men of God. He says there in verse 4, as we have been approved by God, know that also including because of what they have been doing all along, which is preaching the gospel, it says to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. And so they have been approved of by God to preach the gospel, to go and preach that gospel. He says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who, now notice, who tests our hearts. Does God know why we do things? Look at verse 5. He says, For neither any time did we use flattering words, which means He didn't go and preach and, and say things that just flattered people because they wanted to be liked, to be well received. He says, nor did, they, nor did they use it as a cloak for covetousness, which means they didn't use the gospel to, to profit from it. 
And there is a difference between profiting and being provided for. And we find here in verse, in verse 5 that covetousness is the idea that they're using it to covet and to obtain things that would no doubt cause them to be separated from God because of their covetousness. So he's talking about they didn't use it as a cloak for covetousness. And he says, God is witness, which means God knows that they have not done these things. So that's how they brought the truth to them, in sincerity. They brought the truth to them, they brought the gospel to them in truth. They told them what the, what the truth of God's word was, even in spite of heavy persecution in the past, and I'm sure also presently, and even in the future as well, they would endure persecution. And they did not do it to gain material possessions or to gain the favor of men, as we find there in verse 4 and in verse 5. Notice next in verses 6 through 12, Paul talks about his behavior or their behavior among the brethren. That is how they acted among them and how they treated one another. Looking at verse 6, the Bible says, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. And what Paul is talking about, and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning as well, is that as apostles they could have said, hey, we need, to, we need this, this, and this. Of course, not being selfish in that. He says we could have made demands, no doubt ones that would not go beyond God's will. He says we could have done those things. What happens? He says we didn't do that. Because the point Paul was making, as we know, Paul was always being hassled about his apostleship. He was always being hassled by many for receiving funds. And, and so for that reason, he would, be, he would work as a tent maker. He would do certain things, even though he could receive help. He did certain things so that it would not be a, a burden to others or would not be something that would be a stumbling block to other people. He says in verse 6 here, he says, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, but we were gentle among you. You think there were some there who were weak in faith or weak in understanding in the fact that they could have provided for them and all reality they should have provided for them, but Paul and his workers there with them would not do that? But we were gentle among you, says, just, now notice this, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, which means he was very kind to them. Not to say that he was brutal to everybody else, but Paul handled them very carefully. He mentions here this idea, he says, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, because no doubt there are some among them, perhaps many among them still, who were, you might call, still babes in Christ. And so Paul took his time and was gentle among them. Looking at verse 8, he says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also, he says, our own lives, because you have become dear to us. And what Paul is talking about here in verse 8 is the idea that, yes, they preached the gospel to them. Yes, they brought the gospel to them in truth. But also the idea that they sacrificed, you might say in times, but they really didn't have to. Those individuals could have done things to provide for them and help them. But he says they sacrificed. He words it there in verse 8. He says, he says, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives, which means they worked among them as servants. They made sure that they treated them very kindly, very gently. Because they were still no doubt learning. But let's, let's also be, be assured as well that there's nothing wrong with being kind to one another and being gentle with one another. There's a time for boldness 
And there's a time for gentleness. Looking at verses 9 and through 12 here. He says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. They labored to do what? To not be a burden to them. Again, going back, they could have made demands, right? But they didn't. They labored in such a way so they wouldn't be a burden to them. But they wanted nothing to try to hinder them from hearing the gospel. He says there in verse 9, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel. He says, you are witnesses and God also. How how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. You notice there, you catch that here, he references the father. Earlier, he references the mother, doesn't he? Back in verse 7. He uses the idea of a mother and a father taking care of their children because that's how Paul views them as his children. Now, they were children of God, but he says here in verse 11, he says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. They were gentle, and they also, as we find here, they did what? They exhorted them, they comforted them, and they charged them, which means they taught them and they encouraged them to do what? To follow God's word. They charged them, every one of them, he says, as a father does his own children. And what does he charge them with? Verse 12 that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul's behavior among them was one that would, you might say, was the role of least friction. Did Paul do anything wrong by being gentle and being so gentle among them? No. He still preached them the whole counsel of God. He was gentle in the fact that he did not want to take anything from them because he didn't want to be a burden to them. Even though, as we saw earlier, they could have made such requests or demands as the New King James phrases it there. Next, we want to notice Paul's love and his thanks for the brethren. In verses 13 and following, we look at Paul's thanks for the brethren and his love for them. We begin first looking at his love for them in verses 13 and 14. Here the Bible says, For this reason, here again Paul speaking, he says, We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now notice what he says there, why he is thankful for them. He says, for this reason we also thank God, I notice, without ceasing. He uses that phrase a lot sometimes, without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You thank God for them without ceasing. You read a lot of Paul's letters, you find he thanks God for basically all the faithful Christians. Not that they were all perfect, because we know he calls some people out, especially in Corinth, but he still thanked God for them. Because they were still working to be Better followers of God. And you find here in verse 13, he says, We thank God without ceasing, because, he says, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. So think about this for a moment. When people receive the word of God is when they hear it, how do they react? Well, in a whole lot of different ways sometimes, right? We know that from Acts chapter 2. We know that with Stephen as well there in the book of Acts. They both had their hearts pierced, but one accepted it, one rejected it. And so when Paul says here, you thank God, you thank God for them without ceasing, he says, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, he says, you welcomed it. 
you welcomed it, which means they were willing and ready to hear it. The people today welcome the Word of God? Not all the time. Some people do. And it's a breath of fresh air when people are willing and ready to listen and to actually learn and to try to understand more of what God's Word says so they can become a follower of God or a better follower of God. He says, so here they welcome but he said that He says, now notice, not as the Word of men, which means they recognized it, that it wasn't just Paul's getting up there and spouting out the Pauline Creed, which does not exist. He didn't get up there and just spout out his own ideas on what they should be doing. He says in verse, they said in verse 13, he says, But as it is in truth, the Word of God. They recognized Paul's teaching as the Word of God. And back up to verse, earlier there in verse 13, what they do? They welcomed it. That's why, back up further, he thanked God for them without ceasing because they welcomed it as the Word of God in truth. He says, which also effectively works in you who believe. What works in them? The Word of God. The Word of God works in them. It's interesting that already there Paul's talking about how the Word of God is the one that works, right? Through them. Looking at verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. This means they follow the same pattern as the other churches of Christ. And he mentions here specifically those who are in Judea. The churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Now, churches of God is not an unscriptural term. We know there are denominations today that call themselves churches of God. But if they were to teach the whole gospel truth, that name would be biblical to be on their sign. But because they do not, they just make themselves another denomination that happens to have a name we find in the Word of God. They are not always the same, are they? And here we find in verse 14, they were imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. He says, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, which means they were suffering just as Paul had suffered previously. From your own countrymen, he says there in verse 14, just as they did from the Judeans. You're suffering from your own countrymen, just like those in Judea are suffering from their countrymen. For what? For standing for God's word and wanting the truth. That's why they were suffering. We find in verses 15 and 16 that their persecutors killed and harassed others, including Christ, who taught truth, but we know that wrath would come upon them. Looking at verse 15 and 16, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Who's he talking about? He's generalizing those who were rebellious against God, rebellious against Christ, unwilling to listen to his words. They not only killed, he says here, they killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, who did what? Their own prophets, in reference to those who also taught about Christ being the Son of God. He says, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men. Contrary to what kind of men? To those who call themselves to be Christians, right? But also in the sense that they're contrary to all men, which means they're a hindrance to everybody. Including there be a hindrance to those who may want to hear the gospel, they're a hindrance to them. To those who are Christians, they're a hindrance to them. To those who are not Christians, they're a hindrance to them because they're setting forth a poor example, aren't they? Therefore, they're contrary to all men there in verse 15. He says, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, which means what? They actually told them you can't speak to these people. 
Because if Paul and them preached the gospel, they would be saved if they obeyed it. But they wanted them to not hear the gospel message that came from Paul, which of course we know came from God. Which if they did, they would be saved. He says, so also as always to fill up the measure of their sins, the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. God will pour out His wrath on those who are in direct contradiction to Him. Those who are in direct contradiction to the truth. Those who are hindering others. We find in verse 15 and 16, that's what those people were. In direct contradiction to God. Opposing the truth. Hindering those who are teaching it. And hindering others from hearing it. As we see there in verse 16. It's one thing to have someone who doesn't want to hear the truth. It's another thing to have someone who doesn't want to hear the truth and try to prevent others from hearing it as well. One is disappointing, the other one is infuriating. Because if you don't want to hear the truth, fine, but why do we want to keep someone else? Let them decide for themselves. Looking next, if you will, we look at Paul's thankfulness for the brethren in verses 17 and following. Here the Bible says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your, to see your face with great desire, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time, time and again, but Satan hindered us. It says they had been taken away from, from what? From seeing them, right? They wanted to come see them. They, wanted, they endeavored more eagerly to come and see their face. But basically what happened is just things kept coming up. Not that that did. They were making excuses. But if you're being persecuted, is it hard to travel around and see people? Well, yeah. You've got to remember, these guys in the have a van that can hop in and drive across the country to the other side of the, of, the, of the area to see different people. They had to walk, or they had to ride a horseback, whatever it was, and they, which means that it was much longer. And the longer it took, the more chances they had, they had to be persecuted, to be given a lot of hardship come upon them. And so what happened, we find here, they endeavored more eagerly to see their face with great desire. He says, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. When I think about verse 18, I know a lot of people have a lot of speculation about that, but I think we can sum it up very easily. The hardships and the things that are hindering them from coming and seeing their brethren, Paul attributed them directly to Satan trying to hinder their work. How exactly? Paul doesn't say. But he says it's Satan who's trying to hinder us. It's Satan who's trying to keep us away from the brethren. He mentions him there directly in verse 18. Look at verse 19 and 20. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you, are, for you are our glory and joy. Now back up for just a moment because Paul pays a big compliment to these brethren. Look what he says in verse 19. Is it not even you? Who's the you there? Specifically, the faithful brethren there in Thessalonica. He says, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as coming, which means when the Lord comes back on the judgment day, Paul can see those individuals going, being approved of by God, and that will bring him great joy, as he says in verse 20, for you are glory and joy. And what also? As he mentions in verse 19, their crown of rejoicing. He could rejoice on the judgment day, when they stand before God as faithful servants of God, because they get to go to heaven just like He does. Just like all the other faithful brethren are going to be able to go to that place as well. He says, is it not, you, even in the, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ 
at His coming. They will bring Him great joy and great rejoicing. Some lessons for us today. We should, to the very best of our ability, treat one another with gentleness. Doesn't when, I, when we say gentleness, we don't mean that we hold back from teaching the truth. We don't mean that we hold back from trying to help someone on their spiritual walk with God. But there's a big difference between gentleness and browbeating. There's a big difference between gentleness and shouting at people. If you look here at verses 7 and 8, look what Paul says here. He says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Gentle means what? Which means they were careful with them. They didn't want to harm them or to cause them to stumble in any way. Look at verse 8. So so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own lives, because you have become dear to us. You notice there he talks about being gentle in verse 7. In verse 8 he still talks about preaching the gospel, doesn't he? Because they can go hand in hand. Too many times I think we, when we talk to people about the Bible, we, we don't realize that we kind of separate those two if we're not careful. We can talk to people gently and kindly and lovingly with the truth of God's Word. But too many times if we're not careful, we choose to pick one or the other. We choose to be gentle and not say what the truth is, or we choose to speak the truth and not say it with gentleness. Paul did both in verses 7 and 8. He did it with gentleness, and he did it with the truth. Love the truth enough to receive it. That should be another lesson for us today. Because every day, if we're honest, every day of our lives, we have to decide whether or not we're going to receive the truth of God's Word. What I mean by that is this. When we get up in the morning and we start making decisions about our day, we're already deciding if we're going to receive God's truth that day and obey His Word, or if we're not. When we go to the supermarket and someone is rude to us, which is not uncommon, right? It's very easy to spout back something else just as rude, right? When someone does something to anger us or something bad happens in our day and we lash out, we choose that we're going to follow God's Word in that situation if we're not. Someone asks us the Bible questions we go throughout our day, whether we're going to the store or going to work, some kind of Bible topic comes up. Because let's be honest, most things in life, we're honest, are Bible topics, are they not? Shall I be honest with my boss about what happened in this location and went out to do this job? Well, yeah, honesty is a Bible topic, isn't it? Shall I be honest you know, about various other things going on in the workplace and I'm questioned about it? Well, that's a Bible topic. Shall I take the chance to be deceitful with my employer and gain a few extra bucks? Well, that's a Bible topic. We must love the truth enough to receive it. Going back here looking at verse 13. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You welcomed it. We have to decide every day if we're going to welcome God's word. Or we decide that day is going to be too hard, too busy to make time to be obedient to him. We must have the same traits that we find here in verse 13. That is, we must be willing to recognize truth, to receive it, and then to follow it. We should also rejoice when brethren remain faithful to God. 
There's no greater, to me, but think about when you're traveling somewhere and you go visit a congregation, maybe the first time, or maybe it's just one you've been to before, and you get to hear faithful preaching, you get to hear a good Bible class, you get to see Bible, you get to see the worship service going and the biblical pattern. Do we stop in our prayers and thank God for that? Because that's one example of our brother remain faithful, isn't it? Because let's be honest, when we travel day and visit different places, that's not a given anymore, nor has it been for a long time. So when we are out and we're talking to people and we get to visit their other faithful brethren, remind them, let them know that you are thankful for them, that you are grateful for them. We should be grateful for our faithful brethren who are indeed remaining faithful to God. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is Paul talking about, verses 19 and 20? That he's grateful for their faithfulness. So much so, he says, on the day of, on the day of judgment, they will, be their, they will be his crown of rejoicing. They will be, he says, our glory and joy. He was thankful for faithful brethren. Paul shows us examples of gentleness, love, and thankfulness for the brethren. He shows us how we can be gentle among, among those around us. You know, we can become frustrated for a variety of reasons. We become disappointed for a variety of reasons. But if we're gentle with people, you ever heard the phrase, you get more flies with honey than you do with the vinegar? We know what that means, right? That's not always easy to do because of various reasons, right? But we can manage and, and swallow our pride and take a deep breath and be more gentle to people. We can probably help them a lot more. Paul shows us examples of gentleness. He shows, shows us examples of love for the brethren as he talks about how much he cares for them. He uses the idea of a mother and also of a father. And then also we find he uses the idea here that he is thankful for them. He's thankful for specifically the faithful brethren. And these are all areas in which we can and should work to improve in our own lives today. You think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. The moment he was converted, everything changed, obviously. Not only did he become a faithful servant of God, but he got to feel some of the things that he was once inflicting upon others. Before his conversion, he was the one who was watching people being stoned. He was the one watching people being dragged out of houses. He was the one seeing people being condemned to death. But at his conversion, everything flip-flopped, didn't it? He was now the one being persecuted. He was now the one being stoned. Now the one, as we know from Acts 17, they went to Jason's house looking for him so they could drag him out, but he, had, well, he was not there at that time. He was one who also was cast out of cities. He was one who also was imprisoned, also shipwrecked, and, and received stripes numerous times from the Jews, right? Because he was now on the opposite side, because he had joined the Lord's side, he had joined the Lord's team when he obeyed the gospel. Now he was experiencing part of what he had been inflicting before. That's why we read about, I think, at least to me in my mind, that's one of the reasons why we, when we read about Paul's writings, that he thanks God for the brethren so many times. That he encourages them to remain faithful to God. That he encourages them to 
He reminds them how they receive the Word of God in truth, in spite of conflict, in spite of persecution. He reminded them basically, as we know also, as you go back and look at uh, verse 2, that they were brothers in arms in the sense that they were all suffering for the cause of Christ, right? He mentioned how they retreated spitefully in Philippi, which he says, which they knew about, right? They were brethren not only in the Lord, but also in their persecutions because of being the Lord together. In that sense, you could say they were brothers in arms, right? Because not only were they brothers in the faith, being obedient to God, but they were brothers in the sense because they were suffering for the exact same reasons that Paul was. The truth of the gospel. They were being hated by their own countrymen. They were being harassed by their own countrymen. And Paul was experiencing the same exact thing. But as we look at chapter 2, we learn so much from Paul's example and from some of his actions which he has in front of the brethren there. And there's one thing we, we can find, there's several things we can find, but one thing is without a doubt that we see that Paul loved those brethren. He was grateful for those brethren, and he wanted those brethren to be faithful to the very end so they could, on the day of judgment, be his crown of rejoicing. Let's be like the Apostle Paul in the sense that we too want to be gentle among those around us, that we too want to show love for our brethren, and that we too want to be grateful for those who are indeed faithful to God. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. As we stand and sing this song that's been selected. <laughs>